Well, I invite you to remain standing uh, for the reading of God's Word. Uh, if you'd like to follow along, you can turn to 1 Samuel chapter 20. Uh, it is a story. It's meant to be heard. And if you'd prefer to just listen, uh, I invite you to do that as well. It's a long passage, and we're going to break it up into three readings today. So we're going to start with the first 26 verses, which will be our biggest reading. Uh, if you're using one of the church's Bibles... Uh, you'll find that starting on page 243, 1 Samuel chapter 20, and we'll start with verses 1 through 26. Beloved saints, this is not our word, this is not man's word, this is God's word which he has given to us. It is a gift, it is meant to be received, and so I encourage you to give your undivided attention to the reading of it. Then David fled from Nioth in Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is my guilt? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? And he, that is Jonathan, said to him, Far from it, you shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing, either great or small, without disclosing it to me. And why should my father hide this from me? It is not so. But David vowed again, saying, Your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he thinks, Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. Then Jonathan said to David, Whatever you say, I will do for you. David said to Jonathan, Behold, tomorrow is the new moon, and I should not fail to sit at table with the king. But let me go, that I may hide myself in the field till the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked leave of me to run to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the clan. If he says, good, it be well with your servant. But if he is angry, then you know, or then know that harm is determined by him. Therefore, deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. But if there is guilt in me, kill me yourself, for why should you bring me to your father? And Jonathan said, Far be it from you. If I knew that it was determined by my father that harm should come to you, would I not tell you? Then David said to Jonathan, Who will tell me if your father answers you roughly? And Jonathan said to David, Come, let us go out into the field. So they both went out into the field, and Jonathan said to David, The Lord, the God of Israel, be witness. When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow or the third day, Behold, if he is well disposed towards David, shall I not then send and disclose it to you? But should it please my father to do you harm, the Lord do so to Jonathan and more also, if I do not disclose it to you and send you away, that you may go in safety. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love for my house forever when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. 
And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. And then Jonathan said to him, Tomorrow is the new moon, and you will be missed because your seat will be empty. On the third day, go down quickly to the place where you hid yourself, where the matter was in hand, I'm sorry, with yourself when the matter was in hand, and remain beside the stone heap. And I will shoot three arrows to the side of it, as though I shot at a mark. And behold, I will send the boy, saying, Go find the arrows. If I say to the boy, Look, the arrows are on the side of you, take them, then you are to come, for as the Lord lives, it is safe for you, and there is no danger. But if I say to the youth, Look, the arrows are beyond you, then go, for the Lord has sent you away. And as for the matter of which you and I have spoken, behold, the Lord is between you and me forever. So David hid himself in the field. And when the noon moon came, the king sat down to eat food. The king sat on his seat as at other times on the seat by the wall. Jonathan sat opposite and Abner sat by Saul's side. But David's place was empty. And yet Saul did not say anything that day, for he thought something has happened to him. He is not clean. Surely he is not clean. Let us pray that the Lord would be pleased to speak to us in and through his word this morning. Lord Jesus, you know the darkness of our minds and hearts. You know our fears and our doubts. Flood this darkness with the light of your grace and your peace. Open our minds to your truth. Grant us hope, grant us faith, indeed, increase our understanding and allow us to receive you through your word. Let your love shine through the pages of your scripture. May your spirit be with us as we read and hear. May he grant us that we might might delight in all that we encounter there, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. Much of our lives are spent in the pursuit of friendship. It's just something about the way we're made. We don't just need relationships. We need meaningful relationships. We need to feel like we belong. We need to feel camaraderie. Without it, we feel isolated. We wither. And eventually we die within. And it's not something that we need to be taught. From our earliest days, we seek to make friends. I love watching kids walk up in a new place, say, hi, do you want to be my friend? They hold hands and you think, man, when did we lose that? And then we quickly learn that all friends are not the same. Am I your best friend, we ask in our early days. And then we start to evaluate. Well, Johnny's my first best friend, but you're my second best friend. And not even our Lord, while he was on earth, avoided such levels of friendship. He had his 70, and then he had his 12. But in the hardest hours, the most delightful hours, like walking up that Mount of Transfiguration, he took the three, James and John and Peter. Our Lord also knew 
the pain of betrayal from a close friend. When one of the twelve, Judas, betrayed him, he knows that there is a pain there like no other when a close friend proves to be your enemy. That the reality is the closer the bond, the greater the pain when you are let down. And yet still we long for, we crave, we need close friends, close bonds. There's something in each of us that longs to be known by others, to be accepted and to be loved. And yet, because of our sin, we also fear being known. We simultaneously need it and fear it. And we know that friendship, true friendship, is costly. We know that giving our hearts to another will cost us dearly in one way or another. It will take its toll because friendship always comes with a price. Perhaps these two realities, the the fear of being known and the costliness of friendships can explain why I've noticed that the, the people that I've seen in my life fall into the greatest moral failure have been people who did not seem to have any truly close friends in their lives. They did not have any equals, somebody who could grab them by the collar, speak into their life and say, you're being a bonehead. Good friends are not just a comfort. Good friends are a safeguard against foolishness, arrogance, and rebellion. And I think we all know people who are so set on rebellion that they insulate themselves from true friends. Our passage today is about one of the most famous friendships in the Bible, in history really. David and Jonathan have become the paradigm for deep friends. And it's in 1 Samuel 20 that that friendship was put to a test. These were the darkest three days that these two friends would ever know in their friendship. But it's through those dark days that something beautiful and glorious emerges. And this episode gives us insight into the three darkest days in Jesus' life on earth and what those days reveal about his love for us. But why are we looking at this passage today of all days? Well, today's Easter, the Sunday of Passover. In the past few years, we've taken this opportunity to meditate on something the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15. It was our call to worship this morning. He said, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And I've pointed out over the last few years that the Old Testament actually never says that the Messiah would be raised on the third day, at least not in so many words. But what Paul is really saying in 1 Corinthians 15 is something like this. If we understand the Old Testament, we would know that there was only one possibility for the Messiah to be raised. Because in God's word, 
The third day is the day of resurrection. It is the day of restoration. It is the day when God's people's lives are given back to them. More than this, I think what Paul is saying is, if we truly understand the scriptures, we would not only understand when the resurrection would take place, but what it would communicate to us and what it would accomplish. That this is what the Old Testament is conveying to us in so many different passages. And so today we want to see another place where the Old Testament prepared us for three dark days of death and the glorious restoration of life to follow. And so my hope as we look at 1 Samuel chapter 20 this morning is really to see this. Jesus is a true friend willing to endure three days of death in order to give us eternal life. And that's a glorious truth that 1 Samuel 20 helps us understand. So we want to look at it. And and to make sense out of the opening of chapter 20, we, we should probably understand a little bit about what's going on in chapter 19. It opened uh, with Saul, the king of Israel, telling his son Jonathan that he wanted to put David to death. But David wasn't just one of the king's subjects. He happened to be Jonathan's best friend. Can you imagine your dad telling you that he wanted to murder your best friend? And so David interceded on David, I mean, sorry, Jonathan interceded on David's behalf. And so Saul relented and, and promised, I, I won't kill him, I won't pursue him. And Saul, to, to his credit, kept his word for at least a couple days before he started to pursue David again. And so the rest of chapter 19 records a couple episodes where Saul tries to trap and kill David. But in all of this, he kept his son Jonathan in the dark. So Jonathan doesn't know what's going on. And we come to chapter 20, and it opens with David telling uh, Jonathan that his father is trying to kill him. And Jonathan assures him, that can't be true. I talked to my dad. We're good. He tells me everything. Now, of course, the reader knows what's happened in chapter 19. David knows what happened in chapter 19. David knows that he is on death row. There's just a step, he says, between he and death. The king is pursuing his life, the most powerful man in the land, possibly the most powerful man in the world, wants David dead. There's a dark cloud of death hanging overhead, and we can feel it in this interchange between David and Jonathan. But Jonathan loves David, so he promises he'll investigate. He'll figure out what's going on. And they come up with a plan, and, and David is, is not going to come to the king's table as, as he typically does. And if the king is indifferent to David's absence, he's safe. But if the king gets angry, Jonathan will know the truth. Before the story continues, Jonathan and David enter into a covenant with each other. It's, it's a contract it's an oath. It's, it's a pledge of loyalty between these two. Jonathan says, if I don't do everything I said, may, may all that we've talked about be done to me. May I be put to death. David says, if I'm guilty, if I've done something wrong, may I be put to death. They, they swear on their lives. And one of the most uh, striking things about this 
is that the bond Jonathan is making is closer than any family bond. It's like Proverbs says, they, they are closer than brothers. And it illustrates the reality that there are times when the truth will call us to abandon our family bonds. Jesus drove that point home when he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And his point, of course, was not that all Christians abandon their families, but that he demands a loyalty like that between Jonathan and David, closer than any family bond. Such loyalty comes at a cost. It comes at a price. Jonathan was not about to leave his little conversation with David and go someplace safe and comfortable. He would leave that field and he would go into the proverbial lion's den. He would face the most powerful man on earth knowing full well that he had just chosen David over his own father. There was a sense here that what Jonathan was doing is extremely dangerous. We understand that there's there's nothing safe about where he's going. David, you sit there safe. I will go figure this out. Friendship, true friendship, requires service. And Jonathan knows that. He's going to serve his friend. He's going to figure this out. He's setting aside his own comfort and his security. By definition, at least God's definition, true friendship does require service. If you're not willing to serve others, you will never have true fellowship. See, everyone wants deep relationships. But many want them without sacrifice and service, and there's no such thing. Jonathan understands this, and he places David's needs before his own. He knows that it requires not just service, but sacrifice. Think about it. Jonathan is in line to become king after his father. And yet he knows that if David lives, David will become king. Serving David means giving up his own throne, his own crown, his own kingdom. Loving David comes at a cost. Jonathan isn't just giving up an afternoon for his friend. Well, I'd really want to go to see a movie, but hey, I'll do this for you. He is giving up his life. He's giving up a destiny, a kingdom. When the Bible talks about friendship, this is what it has in mind. This is why friendship simultaneously draws us and terrifies us. This is why being a true friend requires that you count the cost. It requires more than finding someone that you want to spend Friday nights with. True friendship, true relationships cost you dearly. You will give up money, you will give up sleep, you will give up security. 
in many ways, love is the most costly thing on earth. The cost is always your life in one way or another because it is no longer your own. When you truly love someone, you place them before your own life. Jonathan understood that and he willingly paid the price. The first day of this episode of this story ends with this sort of interlude, this break in the narrative. David continues to hide in the field and back at the palace, the king notes David's absence. But he doesn't say anything yet, assuming that there must be a reason for David's absence and that David will be there the next day. And we know as the sun sets on the first day that that death hangs in the air like a dark cloud. We know that there are kingdoms at war and we know that Jonathan has chosen sides. But that interlude is short-lived. So let's read a little bit more, picking up at verse 27 through verse 34. On the second day, the day after the new moon, David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan, his son, Why has not the son of Jesse come to the meal, either yesterday or today? And Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. He said, let me go, for our clan holds a sacrifice in the city, and my brother has commanded me to be there. So now, if I have found favor in in your eyes, let me get away and see my brothers. And for this reason, he has not come to the king's table. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, and he said to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman. Do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore, go and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Then Jonathan answered his father, Why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. And Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month. For he was grieved for David because of his father's disgrace. His father had disgraced him. On the second day, we find ourselves back at the king's table and again David's seat is empty and now Saul knows something's wrong. He turns to his own son and he asks where David is. Jonathan sticks to the script. He keeps his agreement. He doesn't, he doesn't crumble under pressure. And he says, David has gone to Bethlehem. And in this moment, the truth is out. All the cards are on the table or at least they're about to be. Jonathan has thrown his lot in with David. For better or for worse, he's taken his stand. And the question is, whom will David or whom will Saul prove right? Jonathan or David? Has has Saul kept his word to his son and not pursued David, or was David right? 
that Saul has been hiding from his son that he has continued to try to murder David, Jonathan's best friend. And what is following is heartbreaking. The full force of his father's wrath is turned upon his son. Saul essentially disowns Jonathan. He turns his back on him and he gives him an ultimatum. Save yourself or save David, but you can't save both. There's no going back. The choice is there. The cost of friendship is unavoidable. And there could be no greater price and there could be no greater love. And preferring to die than to abandon his friend, Jonathan challenges his irrational father and says, why should David be put to death? What has he done? Consumed with anger, guilt, and shame, Saul hurls his own spear at his son. And Jonathan knew to be David's friend was to be his father's enemy. He had to choose. The spear missed and Jonathan escaped for now. But he doesn't eat that whole second day. His life is turned upside down. And his soul is troubled within him and he is consumed with grief. Like a person mourning, he has no appetite. He doesn't eat that second day. And while the context is quite different, does this not help us to understand what friendship with us would cost Jesus? We, like David, were under a death sentence. Not from some corrupt earthly king. But we were under a death sentence by the perfectly righteous and just king of heaven. Unlike David, who was innocent, we stood condemned for treason against heaven. But like Jonathan, if Jesus were to choose friendship with us, he would have to be willing to face his own father's wrath. Not because his father was wicked and irrational, but because his wrath was just and would have to be satisfied at the cost of his own life. Because there's no other way for Jesus to save his friends. Because friendship is costly. As Jesus spent that last night with his disciples... As the moment of truth approached for him, do you remember what he said to them? Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And then he turns to them and says, I have called you friends. He was telling them that he was about to pay the ultimate price, make the ultimate sacrifice. He was willing to pay the price of friendship his disciples. Thousands, I'm sorry, a thousand years before Jesus came and had that conversation with his disciples, God was revealing a beautiful story of friendship between David and Jonathan. And through that, he was teaching us about his own character and his own love. He was revealing to us what he was willing to endure for us 
And he was helping us to understand why, what he was going to accomplish through it. And so the second day in our passage ends. And as it does, it ended for Jonathan as it must have ended for the disciples as the death of their Lord, the loss of their friend started to sink in. Grief, despair, complete loss of appetite, the darkness so real that it could be felt. And as exhaustion overtakes him, as it overtakes the disciples, the question is always, what will the third day bring? Let us read the end of our passage, verses 35 through 42. In the morning, Jonathan went out into the field to the appointment with David and with him a little boy. And he said to this boy, run and find the arrows that I shoot. And the boy ran and he shot an arrow beyond him. And when the boy came to the place of the arrow that Jonathan had shot, Jonathan called out after the boy and said, is not the arrow beyond you. And Jonathan called after the boy, hurry, be quick, do not stay. So Jonathan gathered up the arrows and he came to his master. Sorry, Jonathan's boy gathered up the arrows and came to his master, but the boy knew nothing. Only Jonathan and David knew the matter. Jonathan gave his weapons to the boy and said, go, carry them to the city. And as soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times and they kissed one another and wept one another, David weeping the most. And then Jonathan said to David, go in peace because we have both sworn in the name of the Lord saying the Lord shall be between me and you and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. On the third day, our two friends are reunited. It must have felt like years had passed in those two days. As Jonathan returns, and he uses the agreed-upon signal to let David know, it was as they feared. The king wants him dead. And then Jonathan sent his servant away and it's just he and David and reunited they weep for their time together is going to be short-lived in this world. Before long, Jonathan will be taken up into heaven and David will have to remain on this earth without his friend who gave so much for him to whom he would be indebted forever. And so they embraced they wept, and we're told David wept all the more. And if we're not careful, we'll miss the beauty of how this episode ends. David's life was spared, and Jonathan was returned to him. On the third day, death gave way to life. It's death which so hung over our passage that we have to now see this as new life, as resurrection, as the restoration of life. 
Jonathan was willing to surrender his life for his friend, and it's now been given back to him. And out of that sacrifice, he is able to give David peace. Look at verse 42. Go in peace. Because we have both sworn, both of us in the name of the Lord, saying the Lord shall be between between me and you and my offspring and your offspring forever. Jonathan purchased peace for David. And he sends forth his friend with his life. This is what he purchased with his friendship, with his sacrifice. It cost him everything, but for him it was worth it. Because really, he had given David so much more than his life. Jonathan had guaranteed that David would one day be king. He had given his kingdom to his best friend. Can you not hear the gospel proclaimed there? What did Jesus accomplish through his death and resurrection? Did he not lay down his life for his friends? Did he not make them heirs of the kingdom by doing it? Did he not purchase peace for them? Do you remember the first thing Jesus says to his disciples when he shows up in that room after the resurrection? Peace. This episode in the life of David and Jonathan tells God's people so much more than when to expect life to be restored, when to expect the resurrection. It taught them that the death and resurrection of Jesus would communicate something, that it would tell us that Jesus calls us friends, that he was willing to get between us and death that he was willing to lay down his own life to save those whom he loves, that he was willing to share his kingdom with those who were once on death row. The death and resurrection of Jesus is a declaration of what kind of friend we have. There is no greater love, no greater friend than Jesus Christ. And also, also tells us what kind of friends we're called to be. Jesus doesn't just call us friends. He makes us friends with one another. And so we are invested in one another. We are obligated to one another. God knows no such thing as an anonymous Christian who sneaks in and sneaks out without any meaningful connection with others. He calls you to know others and to be known by others. He calls you to serve, and he calls you to costly sacrifice for others. I know that's scary, but here's the good news. You belong to Jesus, the risen Savior, who has conquered death, and he's at work within you. He's making you more like himself. And that's impossible without making you into a better friend, making you into a servant, and making you willing to be sacrificial for others. Remember, you're not alone. You belong to Jesus. And he is the greatest friend. He is your strength. 
And in his love for you, he is shaping you and making you more like Jonathan, more like Jesus. His love and his friendship this morning are made visible in his invitation to come and eat at his table. Now, I know after reading a passage like ours, that might be a scary thought. I don't know that I want to dine at the king's table. But unlike David, you don't need to fear sitting at the king's table. Because through Jesus, we have peace with God. The Father's wrath has been turned aside. Through him, our lives have been spared. If we are friends of Jesus, we can come to the table without fear. If you have rejected friendship with Jesus, then he does you no good. All will stand one day before the King of Heaven and give an account. The only way into heaven, the only hope, is friendship with Jesus. And the Lord's table makes this visible each week as the only requirement in coming is friendship with Jesus, confessing your sins, asking for salvation, and being united with his family through membership in a local church. If that describes you, Jesus invites you to eat at his table because this is where friends gather. If that's not yet true, not currently true, the Lord instructs you to wait and you're given that friendly warning that a true friend would give that it's not too late. The time is now. Come, bow your knee, call upon Jesus because I assure you there's no greater friend in heaven or on earth. I'd like to ask the elders to come forward that we might receive this blessing and gift from our God this morning. And please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love, for sending your Son into this world knowing full well that he would be mistreated, that he would be hated, that he would have to surrender his glory in order to be a servant, in order to be a sacrifice indeed. There is no greater love than this. We thank you that he endured your own wrath, not because you were unjust, but because there was no other way to rescue us, because he is our friend, and friends lay their lives down for one another. Help us, we pray, to be more like Jesus. Help us to love each other, not as the world loves. Help us to truly be servants, to truly be sacrificial. May radical friendship characterize this church. We pray through the one who defines friendship, Jesus, our Savior. Amen.